Good morning, everyone. Obviously, uh, I'm not here in person. I'm joining you on a screen. Uh, today, I'm in Queens, New York City, preaching at a church called uh, New Life Church. So thanks for bearing with me on the video. Uh, how very 2020 of us uh, to be watching preaching on video. But of course, for many of you, nothing's different. Uh, you, our primary engagement is through a screen. Discovery is obviously in a really exciting transition. Uh, my last message as lead pastor will be next Sunday, December 12th. And yes, of course, I will be here in person. And then on December 19th, we'll actually have quite a special service where the elders formally install Zach Krieger as the lead pastor of Discovery. It's always been a funny term to me that we install a pastor, like Zach's an air conditioner or something. Uh, we'll also hear Zach's first message on December 19th. And I'm just going to ask you if you would this week particularly pray for the Krieger family as they wrap up a long and faithful tenure at Young Life and start with us at Discovery. You know, Zach launched Young Life in Broomfield in Adams County from scratch uh, over a decade ago. So you can imagine the intensity of him ending well and farewelling. And I, I know the family would really appreciate your prayers. I'll be around Discovery until Christmas. I'm going to move to a very reduced part-time role. And then you won't see me for the first few months of 2022. I'll step away for sabbatical. And then I'll come back in April in a part-time supportive role. And I, I really can't describe just how excited I am for Discovery in this season. With all the madness in our world today, I'm so excited to see what God's doing at our church. And I'm personally really thrilled to be following Zach's leadership as he steps in and leads us into 2022. So as I was preparing this message, just with all the transition happening, I thought it might be nice just for us to pause and just step into Advent today. You know, most years we give several weeks to Advent and Christmas, but with all the transition at Discovery this year, really just one message on Advent and then one on Christmas Eve. So let's today just spend a little bit of time in Old Testament and New Testament. And as we prepare, I would just ask if you'd join me in, in prayer. Well, good morning, good God. Thank you that you are our Heavenly Father. Thank you that you, in the words of Jesus, you're our, our Papa, you're our Dad. Thank you for a season of Advent, Lord. I know for most of us, you know, any time from Thanksgiving to Christmas, it can be such a scurry. But thank you, Lord, that you invite us in the midst of the scurry and all that we're doing. You invite us just to stand on our tippy toes and peer into a manger and um, be fluttered again by the wonder that is God with us. And we just pray uh, just for this next 30 minutes, Lord, that you would help us Get a sense of the wonder of God with us. Lord, I know for so many people, um, we're carrying a lot. And yet, just the simple reminder today that you're carrying us. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that you are God. Thank you that you are light. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, several years ago when my kids were younger, uh, our family was walking uh, down Pearl Street Mall and there was a street preacher uh, preaching on Pearl Street Mall. Now, there's all kinds of street preachers. This one was one on the scale that was particularly angry and harsh. He was preaching nothing less than hellfire and condemnation. And what made it interesting as, he, as we walked past him is he was preaching right at my family. He wasn't just generically preaching to any passersby. He was pointing at me. He was pointing at my kids. He was telling us where our eternal destiny was going to be, how hot it was going to be 
be and how we were condemned. It was really something. And it quite upset my kids. And so one of my children, I won't say which one, one of my children walked over to try to explain to this guy very politely that the guy didn't have to worry because not only were we Christians, but my dad's a pastor, the guy says. Like, hey, it's okay. We're not condemned. We're, we're, we're good with God. My dad's even a minister. And it was really quite charming to watch uh, one of our kids trying to reason with this guy. But he just, he wasn't able to listen. Uh, you know, it's almost like he'd been preaching so long he didn't know how to have a dialogue anymore. And so there's one of my kids trying to earnestly explain that the man doesn't have to feel a sense of doom anymore. He doesn't have to declare that the end is near anymore, that our family has tremendous joy and love and the love of God. And and the guy wasn't having any of it. And what's interesting is I was kind of frustrated at the guy. Uh, and like any good parent, I stayed largely unengaged and just observed from a distance. But um, what really got me struck is how this guy could no longer recognize hope or joy. And he couldn't recognize a family that was filled with both. He was so focused on doom and judgment and warning the end is near. That was his message. And he even had a sign. He had a cardboard sign. The end is near. And as I was thinking about Advent, and I was thinking about this message, I was thinking in many ways, Advent is a reminder that the end is near. But really, it's a reminder of something much more hopeful. So I made my own sign today. Happy Advent, everybody. The beginning is near. Advent is definitely a time where something is ending. For sure, the old world is fading, but the new world is coming. Something new is coming in. Advent is about wonder and expectation. Uh, but it's tricky, isn't it, in 2021 to get excited about a surprise that's 2,000 years old? Jesus is coming. Yeah, we know that. Um as I was thinking about it, this is my 36th Advent as a Christian. And it's fair to ask, where's the surprise? What's exactly the new that we're celebrating 2,000 years after the event? What is it that we're actually anticipating? And it took me a while to kind of sort this out because I go through this feeling of wonder and excitement every Advent and every Christmas. There really is something magical about the season. And it's not just the Hallmark movies. Believe me, it's not the Hallmark movies. And it's not just the carols. I really do think it is the absolute wonder of God with us, of God coming in the form of a baby as God showing up as a human in my 30-something years of Advent, I've discovered that we can really get, never get enough of hope. And as we're trying to think of, okay, what is new every Advent, what occurred to me this week as I was praying through this message is hope is always new. Hope is what is new every Advent. It, that's the gift of Advent. Hope lifts our head to look ahead. If you hope for something in the past and you got it, you're not still hopeful. Hope is very future-oriented, and Advent is a time of great hope because it's the reminder that even though we live in a dark world, there is light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. I love the words of Isaiah. Isaiah 9, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of the shadow of death, 
a light has dawned. And Isaiah goes on to say, for to us a child is born and to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Makes you want to play some Michael W. Smith, doesn't it, for some of you? And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Hope. Hope is what's new in Advent. So just as we move through a couple of themes, I'm compelled to ask you, what are you hoping for? Not just something like, what do you want for Christmas? What do you hope ends up under the tree? But what is your heart longing for? that you can ask God for this Advent, that you can have hope in. Kathleen Norris, the wonderful devotional writer, reminds us that incarnation is the place where hope contends with fear. So maybe another way to ask it is, what are you fearing nowadays? What, what do you find sneaking up into your soul and making you afraid? It's fascinating to me that in the Bible, the opposite of love isn't hate, it's fear. I wonder if that's why it's the most frequent command in all Scripture, to not fear, so that we can open our souls more up to the possibility of love. Okay, so Advent is a time to remember that we have hope and that we do not have to fear. Advent is also a time to look for surprises. There's something about the Christmas story that even after, in my case, several decades of being familiar with it, for you, it might be newer. For some of you, you've got a couple more decades on me. Advent is a time to look for surprises. And God's always doing something surprising. And it's interesting that even if you follow God for a long time, he still continues to surprise us. What is it about God that every time I read the Gospels, every time I put myself in the story of Jesus, there's something or oftentimes a lot of things that just upend me. It's, it's chaotic and wonderful. 36 Advents in and I remain stunned and surprised by God. I'm not quite sure how God does it. I, I, my concern is that my thinking is so rigid and set that God continues to uh, renew my thinking. And Advent is a good time for that too. There's nothing more confounding than the nativity story at Christmas. So if we're looking at surprises, let's take a look at not the whole nativity story. Let's just take a look at maybe part of the story that doesn't get told as much. And that's the story from Joseph's point of view. I'd like to read for us Matthew 1, 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, and he said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, the prophet said, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did 
what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Okay, so first of all, understatement of the year, Matthew one twenty four. when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. I have a number of questions about this. You know, one of my ongoing beefs with the authors of Scripture, I know you're not supposed to, like, complain about the Bible, but one of my ongoing beefs with the authors of Scripture is they so rarely get us inside the minds of the people. Like, what was going on through Joseph's mind when he was having this conversation with the angel? Was it as simple and straightforward as Matthew suggests? I mean, maybe, maybe there's nothing more to tell. Maybe that's what happens when an angel visits you in a dream and it's so vivid that you know it's real and you know the angel's from God. And so then you just accept it as fact and you wake up and you go about your business. Maybe so, but I I think at least Joseph needed a few hours. Like, don't you think at least a second cup of coffee for Joseph to get his mind around his entire life changing in one night. Like he went to bed with his life on one trajectory and he woke up with his life forever and permanently changed. Or did Matthew not record what really happened, like Joseph arguing with the angel? That seems reasonable. Otherwise, you know, Matthew puts right there in the scripture that Joseph is a righteous man and the law of Moses clearly states that if the person you're engaged to becomes pregnant, you're not the father. The penalty for that woman is death by stoning. It's utterly horrendous, but it's the law of Moses, which is to say it's, in the way they understood it back then, God's will. And now he's having this fever dream about God being the father. It's never been done in history before. Hard to explain to your friends and family. The Bible scholar Scott McKnight he imagines it happening this way. Angel, Joseph, God sent me to tell you to marry Mary anyway. Joseph, uh, no. Yes, uh, no. Angel, why not? Well, God says not to. I'm obedient to the law. Angel, well, God told me to tell you to disregard what you know and marry her anyway. Uh, no. Angel, Joseph, I'm not accustomed to negotiating. Usually I just deliver a message and get on my way. What seems to be the problem here? Joseph, the law of Moses, it's the word of God. I don't need to hear from you. I've already heard from God through Moses. Times are changing, Joseph. I suggest you marry her. Okay, but tell God this is very strange. Oh, he knows, I'm sure. Advent is upended expectations. Advent is God reorienting our thinking, helping us see a fresh way. I would say that Advent is turning our world upside down, but I think the more accurate way to understand Advent is it is God right-sizing our upside-down world. God putting to rights what is wrong. We need that, don't we? here at the end of 2021 and moving into a very unknown 2022. We need a fresh work of God. We need a right-sizing. We need a renewal of all things in the wonderful words of the Apostle Paul. So much brokenness in our world, but also 
so much hope. So Advent is hope. Advent is surprise. And I also would like to make a case that Advent, surprisingly, is mercy. It's, it's also a time of mercy. Just while we're camped on Joseph, I just wish to speak to those of you who are parents, whether you have kids in the house or whether your kids are gone, maybe you're even grandparents. I'd also like to speak directly to those of you who lead people, particularly those of you who lead people in a ministry, whether it's a ministry of discovery or a ministry somewhere here on the front range. Maybe you're a life group leader. Maybe you serve in our children's ministry or in our student ministry. What I'm saying is, whether you're a parent or a ministry leader, if you have people looking to you for guidance, I would just like a quick word. I just want you to know that I don't know how you feel about yourself, but your life makes a difference way more than you could even imagine. Just, Just you living your life for God in front of people makes a more profound difference in people's life than you can imagine. My Evidence for this is Joseph. I love what Laura Buffington says. She says, Advent is a reminder that all of frail flesh is made holy. All of frail flesh is made holy. And your service to God is holy service. When I was a teenager, one of the biggest influences of my life was a man named Mark Wilson. He was my youth minister. Uh, He was an adult, I was a teenager, and he preached and he led and he taught. You know, as I think back to those, I don't know, what was that, four or five years, I guess, that he had direct influence on me, we must have had hundreds and hundreds of conversations. Of course, some of them being one-on-one, some of the conversations just being in a group. I heard him teach in large group, I heard him preach in church, I heard him teach in small discipleship groups. And here's the thing I wish to say about Mark. I do not remember a single word he said, (laughs) not one single thing. But the way he lived his life in front of us has forever shaped me and continues to shape me and my relationship with Jesus Christ. Those of you who are pouring into others, your life, just by living your life in front of others, just by living faithfully and worshiping God in public. It makes a difference. It's forming people. Those kids, those of you who serve in our children's ministry, those of you who pour into our teenagers, which is so desperately needed nowadays, our teens having a caring adult for them, they may not remember what you say, but they will be forever marked by your impact. What difference did Joseph make? in the life of Jesus, or even Jesus' brother James, who came along uh, later, or was already there. If you're Catholic, you can chase that little uh, side taste on your own. What difference did Joseph make? We know so little about him. If, if I were to send you to some kind of group discussion, and you were to make a list of everything that you know about Joseph, it just, it wouldn't be much. But here's what we know about Joseph. His life was full of mercy. Uh, Joseph clearly operated by the rule that mercy triumphs over judgment. And so just as we close, in an increasingly hostile world, a reminder that Advent is a season to be merciful. 
You know, what we know about Joseph is he died when Jesus was young. By the time Jesus began his public ministry, Joseph was gone somewhere between the age of when Jesus was 12 and when he was 30. And by most accounts, Joseph died when Jesus was a teenager. But the impact of Joseph's life, this thread of mercy ran all the way through Jesus' life. And I think you can reasonably ask yourself the question, was Jesus merciful because he was God incarnate? Or did God the Father know the power of human influence? Because that's the way God designed it. Did God the Father know the power of human influence and so choose one of the most merciful men in the region to be God's own human dad? Joseph was the one who chose mercy over the letter of the law and this became a key distinctive of Jesus' life and Jesus' teaching. Again and again and again, when the religious leaders were trying to expose people, accuse them, stone them to death, trap Jesus and exploit some vulnerable person, Jesus chose mercy over judgment every time. It, it, it was a hallmark of Jesus' life. And I don't mind saying that Jesus' brother James got in on the act where James, when he gets a chance to write his own letter and it's recorded in the New Testament, James 2, 12 and 13, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So just as we close, just a very simple Advent message, just a question for you. I guess two questions. The first one is, who needs your mercy this week? Who needs your mercy this week? Is there someone in your life, maybe you know somebody that's carrying just a really heavy burden. They're just overwhelmed and down. Uh, mercy is not always about giving someone a break or letting them off the hook or forgiving them. It could simply be that your act of mercy this week is giving relief to someone who's carrying a heavy burden. Who needs your mercy this week? And of course, it could be that there's someone where you've had a grudge or someone where you've had a conflict. Maybe Thanksgiving did not go well for you and another family member. What might mercy look like? I don't mean to step into something that can often be complex, maybe even traumatic, but to simply invite the question, uh, who could use your mercy? And the follow-up question to that, um, what if it's you? What if, as you're watching this, you are the one in need of most mercy? What if it's your voice of condemnation in your head that Jesus himself, the, the, the King of mercy, is offering for you? So happy Advent, everyone. Uh, just a reminder, the end is behind and the beginning is near. We are into a new season. Hope is just around the corner. Light is coming. And all of us in this next month as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Christ can prepare our hearts for what is wonderful and astonishing about God. Would you join me as we close in prayer? This is an ancient Advent prayer I'm going to share with us. And I'm going to use the old language because why not? Almighty God, give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put upon us the armor of light now in the time of this mortal life in which thy son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility. 
that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the quick and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, one God, now and forever. Amen.